Hello. Hello. Hello, and welcome to Grace Online. We're really excited for you to be able to receive an encouraging word from Scripture today. Because we know that God is already here, and He is ready to be with you. And let's get ready to hear today's message. And as you're getting to Luke chapter 1, look around the sanctuary, go not too far outside, and it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Christmas time is almost upon us again, though it hardly seems possible, doesn't it? And as I mentioned at the start of the service in the tradition of the church, the countdown to Christmas is a season in the church known as Advent. Advent meaning arrival. And the, it's, Advent's sort of a counter to all the hustle and bustle of the holiday rush. Advent is a, a season designed to remind us not to let the time get away from us. But more importantly, not to let all the decorating and festivities, which are great, not to let those things distract us from remembering why there is even a Christmas at all. Now, some people, if they're aware of the season of Advent, will observe Advent by marking each day with a little piece of chocolate in a calendar or some other novelty. That's really taken off socks, bottles of wine, all kinds of things. But we're old-fashioned here in the church. And rather than giving you a new pair of socks every week, um, we, at some branches of the church, do this. As I mentioned, our Advent practice is to mark each Sunday by successively lighting candles placed around a wreath until we get to the center one again on Christmas Eve and celebrate what Christmas is all about. The light of the world. The light that is the very life of all creation coming down to earth. What's known as, you heard it in our opening hymn, the incarnation. God, the one in whose image we are all made, drawing as close as even our own skin, bearing the fullness of our humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. Now over these next few weeks, we're going to journey through Advent and get ready together, celebrating the birth of Jesus from the perspective of the Gospel of Luke. And together, we're going to be reading the Christmas story through the lens of this theme of receiving unexpected gifts. Have you ever gotten a Christmas gift that you didn't anticipate? Something that was totally unexpected that you never even imagined was possible? Or maybe you got an unexpected gift that you didn't ask for, that you didn't even want, but ended up discovering was exactly what you needed. We're also familiar with the Christmas story that we forget that very, li- very little about the actual story was expected. In the opening lines of his gospel account, right before the scripture where we're going to start this morning, Luke seems acutely aware of this as he concludes his introduction to his gospel this way, saying, I write these things so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. The story The Christmas story is filled with lots of surprises. The characters are unexpected. The setting is unexpected. And the gifts, each of them, all of them, culminating in divinity being delivered through our humanity, eternity swaddled in infancy. The gifts of Christmas are unexpected too. So let's begin this morning. Let's begin by unwrapping the first unexpected gift of Christmas, a gift that is universally longed for, But more often than not, a gift we sometimes give up on actually getting. The gift of hope. From Luke chapter 1, let's hear this together. In the time of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abja. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the law's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless 
because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembly of worshipers gathered and were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord, back to their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were wondering and waiting for Zechariah, wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown favor on his people and taken away my disgrace. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, one of the first things we learn about the unexpected gift of hope, the unique hope of Christmas, of God with and for us, is that this hope comes not in a general or generic fashion. This hope comes at specific moments in our human existence. Luke, you notice, is careful to note the date when hope begins to dawn for the people of Israel and, by extension, the rest of the world. He writes, it was the time of Herod, king of Judea. Now, Herod wasn't born to be a king. Decades earlier, Herod had been made one by the Roman Senate, both as a matter of political convenience and as a reward for services to be rendered, namely for keeping Judea's tribute to Rome uninterrupted. More of a puppet than an actual monarch. The irony of it all was Herod as the king of the Jews wasn't even Jewish by birth. He was an Edomite. An Edomite. A descendant not of Jacob, but of Esau, lorded over the people of Israel. And by all appearances, this is not exactly a promising start to the story. Nonetheless, this is the moment when hope is about to be delivered. And yet, back then, as still today, 
God's gift of hope is often unexpected because hope is one of those things we tend to give up on too soon. You see, hope necessitates patience and humankind is not known for its ability to wait, especially when it comes to the unfolding of God's timetable. One of the earmarks of sin, our brokenness, part of how we separate ourselves and get lost in terms of our creator is our impatience. Just like an anxious child with his or her parents, humanity repeatedly gets into trouble because of our refusal to wait. Instead of waiting for hope, we give up on God and take matters into our own hands. We stop expecting more, the more God promises will come, and we decide to settle for less. The least we can manage on our own, rather than the best God offers to us. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, the majority of Israelites have moved on from being hopeful to acting hopelessly. It's been more than 550 years since anyone has heard from a true prophet of the Lord, witnessed a divine miracle, or some sign of the arrival of God's long-promised Messiah. And so many have given up hope and are trying to make their own luck. Trying to make their own luck by attempting either to provoke God into acting or just by trying to work around the Lord altogether. Take the Pharisees, for example. The Pharisees, that's the faction of the Israelites who were, say, working the legal angle. For generations now, the Pharisees have managed to parse the law, God's rules for life, life as it was intended to be. They've managed to parse the law into more detailed, more stringent degrees of observance. And their argument behind turning God's top ten into some exhausting bureaucratic canon of law may be well-intentioned, but it is still presumptuous. You see, the Pharisees figure, the better we keep the rules, the more likely it is God will have no choice but to reward our faithfulness. After all, God helps those who help themselves, right? But beloved, hope we have to buy, hope we have to earn, is no hope at all. Or how about the Sadducees? What about the Sadducees? The Sadducees were a sect of Israelites who became adept at playing politics, of trying to advance the religious agenda of Israel by working with Rome. For them, Herod was, Herod had become the de facto king Israel should settle for, as settling for not to risk Israel's power and livelihood. Yeah, Herod may not actually be Jewish, but at least we can celebrate he's advancing the Israelite agenda. Herod may be a paranoid psychopath, but at least we can get behind the fact that Herod knows how to build things, like enhancing and expanding the temple in Jerusalem. Yeah, Herod's character may leave a lot to be desired, but at least we can champion and support how Herod is working to make Jerusalem great again. But beloved, hope built on lies and compromise is no hope at all. And then there's the Essenes. You've probably never even heard of the Essenes. There isn't any mention of them in the Bible because the Essenes were Israelites who went native, who went off the grid. They left civilization to make their home 
out in the desert, separated, isolated, creating a religious bubble to insulate them from all the temptations and corruptions of this world. Insisting they've seen the signs of what's coming, the Essenes keep stockpiling goods in the wilderness, prepping for the coming of the Messiah and the end of the world. The end of the world when the rest of those God-forsaken people, the pagans, and all those weak, compromising, and half-hearted Israelites have been swept away by the fire of God's judgment. And true believers like them will finally get their salvation and a better world. But again, beloved, hope that preys on the condemnation of others is no hope at all. I don't know if you've been keeping track, but it's both interesting and sad to note that these three camps, legalism, compromise politically, and separation, apocalyptic separation, these varying postures that all have in common taking matters into our own hands when it comes to our faith, they are still alive and well today in the church. And yet, the gift of hope that God promises to bring into our lives, the one that Christmas points towards, it's not going to be expected. And therefore, it's not going to be received if we've given up on it. If we stop waiting for it and take matters into our own hands. How about for you? Where? Where in the story of your life have you stopped waiting on finding your hope in the Lord? Where in your life have you decided instead to give up and try to do things yourself? What situation are we facing right now? Think about it. What situation in our lives are we facing right now? Which relationship in our lives right now has become hopeless to us? Beloved, the hope that God delivers never arrives according to our schedule. But it always comes right on time. Precisely in God's timing. And therefore, we must never stop waiting. No matter what. No matter how long. And in the time of Herod, king of Judea, some were still waiting. Luke narrows our focus on two such persons. Zechariah and Elizabeth. Husband and wife. Zechariah and Elizabeth both come from priestly lineages, meaning their families descended from the line of Israel's first high priest, Aaron. Both Zechariah and Elizabeth are also noted by Luke as being righteous in the sight of God, meaning this is a couple that's living rightly, faithfully. There is no hypocrisy in them. They are not perfect. They are not perfect, but they are walking the talk. They are humbly walking before God, loving mercy, and acting justly before their neighbors. Zechariah and Elizabeth, if anybody has a reason to perceive themselves as hopeless, it's them. Sure, they've got the pedigree and credentials. Yeah, they've got the right attitude, the correct posture before God, but a fat lot of good it's done them. A fat lot of good it's done him having those credentials, keeping that mindset, living rightly and waiting expectantly. Fat lot of good it's done him because seemingly they've got nothing to show for it. Their best days appear to be behind them and they aren't getting any younger. For all those years together, they're not longing for just the Messiah. 
They're just still longing for a family, a child of their own. Beloved, sometimes God's gift of hope is unexpected because we can often misinterpret waiting as a no from God, a no to there being any hope for which to look. After all those years, Luke tells us specifically, they were very old. After all those years of not being able to conceive a child, Zechariah and Elizabeth must have wondered if God had said no to their hope for a family. Then, as still today, infertility was a painful, humiliating, and often devastating reality to have to endure as a married couple, particularly for women in the ancient world. While no one around them might ever have said it out loud, everyone probably believes the reason Zachariah and Elizabeth don't have a son or daughter is because of something they've done wrong. I mean, seemingly the Torah was clear. Old Testament law clearly implied faithfulness to the covenant relationship with the Lord would lead to fruitfulness rather than barrenness. Therefore, Zechariah and Elizabeth's peers would have presumed the cause of Elizabeth being childless was due to divine disfavor, to some unconfessed or unresolved sin in their life. Nothing makes our lack Nothing makes our want in life more painful than when somebody else attributes it to our guilt or shame. But as always, nothing is as it appears with God. Beloved, hope can elude us. We can deny hope to others when we attribute something to the Lord's doing that is completely wrong. Hope becomes unexpected. Hope risks being lost whenever we're so focused on insisting we're right that we almost miss what the Lord is actually doing, what God is about to reveal. Hope can be missed if we give up on it and jump to our own conclusions. But hope can still be found if we keep waiting for it despite having nothing to show for it. For one of the things, the next things we learn about the unexpected gift of hope, the unique hope of Christmas, of God with and for us, is that this hope is discovered. This hope is realized by those who wait upon the Lord by continuing to follow him. Zechariah and Elizabeth haven't given up hope even as months turn to years and years turn to decades, even though it's been a long time and it feels like forever, it feels like time is slipping away, even though it's been hard and painful to watch others rejoice, to hear others whisper their judgment and disapproval, even though they bear the speculation and shame for something they could not control or fix, for suspected wrongs they never committed. Zechariah and Elizabeth are still waiting for hope. Following the Lord. Not hopelessly, but hopefully. Where? Where? Where in the story of our lives are we surrendering to our personal doubts? 
Where in the story of our lives are we surrendering to our personal doubts rather than boldly, persistently lamenting them before God, pressing into the Lord's presence rather than slowly pulling away? What voices? Think about it. What voices? Whose voice in our lives have become the voice of God? What voice in your life is daring to label your identity, to label your destiny? What voice in your life is presuming to know the fullness of what the Lord purposes to do in and through your life? Purposes to know what the Lord is purposing to do in this torn and tattered world of ours. There's all kinds of voices around us. And for some of us, we need to turn them off. Instead of turning them up, let alone turning them on. My brothers and sisters in Christ, hear this. Hopelessness is not the voice of God. And many of you are addicted to the voice of hopelessness. It scratches your itch. It feeds your pessimism. It feeds your negativity, your rage. Hopelessness is at the heart of what polarizes our families, our neighborhoods, our country, and our world. And the polarization is due not to hope, but to the hopelessness. And hopelessness, again, is not the voice of God. Hopelessness is the voice of impatience. Hopelessness is the voice of cynicism. Hopelessness is the voice of death. For those who follow the Lord, the voice of God, the real voice of God, the voice of the Spirit, that voice is always one of hope. A living hope. An everlasting hope found in Christ. And so Zechariah, and by extension Elizabeth, wait. Zechariah waits. Don't miss this. Zechariah waits by continuing to follow the Lord through continuing to get up each day and going to work. And for some of us, we need to understand that waiting on the Lord is as simple as that. Just getting up and living another day. Working. Moving forward. Rather than sitting on our couch and turning on our radio or our computer or our TV and just bitching and complaining all day long. Zachariah waits upon the Lord by getting up each day and going to work. But today is no ordinary day. Today is no ordinary day. Today is a divine appointment in more ways than one for Zechariah as a priest in the temple. As a reminder, the role of the priesthood was central to the life and worship of ancient Israel. This important work, exclusively delegated to the tribe of Levi, again the descendants of Aaron, is outlined in great detail from the end of the book of Exodus all the way through the book of Leviticus. And the overall responsibility of the priesthood was to mediate the relationship between the community and the presence of God within the temple. Through their role of facilitating the praise and sacrifices of the people, the priesthood served as a daily reminder to Israel of the inseparability between human efforts and divine calling. Because contrary to how we treat religion today, 
Contrary to how we treat religion today, where we delegate religion to being a matter of one's private conscience, the work of the priesthood reinforced how our relationship with God is inseparably connected to our relationship with each other. To wrong another person is an offense against God. Likewise, refusing to walk in the way of the Lord, not living as God intended us to live, inevitably has negative consequences, not just for yourself, but for the whole community. In other words, through rituals aimed at reconciliation and restoration, the role of the priesthood was to ensure the overall health of not only the individual, but the community. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and even physically. Now, to carry out the work of the priesthood, long ago, King David, with the inauguration of the first temple in Jerusalem, King David had divided all the priestly families into 24 groups in order to balance all the work involved related to the temple. And each of these groups took turns serving at the altar in the temple. In fact, at one time, there were as many as 18,000 priests ordained to service. One of these groups was headed by the priest Abja, who we heard was the lineage to which Zechariah belonged. Well, a momentous day has arrived on the job for Zechariah because the clan of Abja has been chosen to serve in the temple. And Zechariah has been chosen by lot from within his clan to offer the evening sacrifice of incense. To perform this duty, Zechariah must enter the sanctuary of the temple and stand before the veil concealing the Holy of Holies, the most inner chamber bearing the very presence of God. This is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to serve and occupy a most sacred space, the point of contact between heaven and earth. And it's here on the job, here, on the job, at the climactic moment of fulfilling his work for the day. As Zechariah is immersed in the white smoke and sweet fragrance of the incense, that hope unexpectedly shows up. As much to his surprise, Zechariah is visited by a messenger of the Lord, an angel named Gabriel. And Gabriel delivers a word of divine blessing. The good news that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth will conceive and bear a child, a son. And not just any son. After centuries of prophetic silence, Zechariah and Elizabeth are given a fourfold declaration of hope. They will give birth to a son who will be named John. Their son will bring joy and gladness not only to them, but to many others. Their son will be set apart by God and filled with the Spirit before his birth. Their son will minister in the spirit and power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Lord, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Another thing about the unexpected gift of hope, our hope in the Lord that we learn at this point, is that The way this hope begins to arrive is really nothing new. The way this hope begins to arrive, while unexpected, is really nothing new. An old, childless couple is now going to have a child. A child that's going to shift the very trajectory of human history. 
Haven't we heard this story before? Isaac, anybody? Jacob? Joseph? Moses? Samuel? And now John. Beloved, the new stories of the gospel, the new stories of the gospel are just remixes. Refreshes of the same old good news, the unchanging eternal story of the God who is with us and for us. The gift of hope that God brings to, into our lives is nothing all that new. It's the same gift that the Lord just wraps and presents to us in a new way. Why? Why does God just keep giving us the same gift? Well, for one reason, the hope we have in the Lord is the only gift we need. But another reason that God repeats himself, that the Lord is always coming and delivering his hope to us in seemingly new and yet familiar ways, the other reason why God does this is because we forget. We get preoccupied. We don't always remember where our hope comes from. We don't remember how it tends to arrive. Not through some spectacular, deafening, cataclysmic event. Some of you are waiting for hope like it's going to be some star in the sky. Some comet. Some tree that's going to fall down. Or some blade-burning bush. And those stories are there, but they're the exception, not the rule. When God brings hope, it's often unexpected because we're busy looking for a sign that's big and broad and miraculous. And when God tends to bring hope over and over again in the Word of God... In the stillness, in the small, normal, ordinary, everyday avenues of life. Where does God bring hope? On another day in the job. Where does God bring hope? Before the daily prayers of the community. Where does God bring hope? Before the ongoing concerns of a family. Are we sitting here today and part of the reason why we're so hopeless is because we've forgotten where to look for the hope that God gives? Have we bothered even to notice, let alone remember, the reliable patterns of hope, the deposits of grace that the Lord traces again and again and again in our lives? Or we do we just keep moving on to the next thing, you know? The next concern, the next worry, the next preoccupation, the next problem, the next hopeless situation, the next hopeless relationship. Are we in all our asking? Are we in all our seeking? Are we in all our desperation to find? Are we looking past? Are we straining beyond what or who the Lord has put right in front of us? Or do we have our doubts? Do we have our doubts? Even when the hope of the Lord is right in front of our faces. And if you're one of those who has doubts, even when the hope of God is right in front of you, be encouraged because apparently Zechariah did too. Zechariah. Zechariah, whose name means God has again remembered ironically has forgotten how the Lord delivers hope. Chew on that. Despite this being how God works, despite this being how God has worked before, Zechariah, he comes by it naturally, in the spirit of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has his doubts. His questions 
overshadow his acceptance of this divine hope. Hope, by the way, that's personalized for him and Elizabeth. For the angel Gabriel declares, your prayer has been heard. Zechariah is looking for a sign in order to believe the hope of God is real. And ironically, he immediately gets one, but it's not the sign he was hoping for as he finds himself unable to speak. Don't miss the humor here. This is funny. The sign of hope that Zechariah receives is a season of enforced silence where he'll be reduced to making signs with his hands instead of looking for one. But in all of it, also notice, Zechariah doesn't lose the hope he is being given. It's not taken away from him. It's just, instead of being able to talk his way out of hope, out of the hope that God is bringing into his life, out of the hope that God is bringing into this world, instead of being able to talk his way out of hope, Zechariah will be silenced so that he can become more alert, so that he can become more present, so that he can become more receptive to the hope that will unfold through Elizabeth's pregnancy. The next time Zechariah speaks, it won't be to question the hope God delivers. It'll be to name that hope in telling his family his newborn son's name is John. One of the last things we learn from this passage about the unexpected gift of hope, the unique hope of Christmas, of God with us and for us, is while this hope will not be diminished or denied by our questions and our doubts, thank God, While that hope will not be diminished or denied by our questions or our doubts, this hope is sweeter. This hope becomes richer and deeper through our acceptance, through our praise and expectation. As Luke goes on to share, Elizabeth's reaction to this unexpected news is a far cry from her husband, Zachariah. Elizabeth expresses no disbelief. Elizabeth... Elizabeth, the one for whom nearly a lifetime of disappointment and facing the unkind scrutiny of others has been even more acute than for Zechariah, Elizabeth asks no questions. Elizabeth simply and completely embraces the gift of hope. Instead of allowing herself to be consumed by her particular circumstances, Elizabeth persists in holding on to the memory of God's faithfulness in the past. Therefore, as unbelievable as a word of her being with child at her age may sound, Elizabeth recognizes the hope in Gabriel's announcement, declaring that not only this message, but also her pregnancy is thanks to God. Elizabeth, whose name means oath of God, whose very name proclaims her long, enduring faith in a God who keeps his promises, understands the Lord, as he has done many times before, is working through her barrenness, not only to bring hope to her and her husband, but more broadly to extend the hope of salvation for all. As Elizabeth becomes pregnant, Though she goes into seclusion, she shares the hope she has been given beyond herself to others. We'll come to this later, but when her much younger cousin Mary comes to her pregnant under much different circumstances out of wedlock, 
And yet, by the very same means, the grace of God, Elizabeth, in that moment, testifies not only to the hope in her own womb, but Elizabeth, like her son John later will do, Elizabeth points to the even greater hope, the greatest hope of all, to come by the Lord through Mary, the Son of God, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. As our fractured world and our broken lives bring unexpected challenges, we need the gift of unexpected hope. We need the gift of unexpected hope that Advent and Christmas bring. Now, I know for some of you sitting here today, the hope of Advent, Advent, the hope of Advent may seem distant and out of reach. That's what it may feel like. It may feel like it's never going to come. It may feel like it's impossible. It may feel like it's done. It's over. It's been too long. It can't happen. The hope of Advent may seem distant and out of reach, but this is the beginning of a reminder that the hope to which Advent points is closer than we could ever imagine or hope for. Because the hope of the incarnation is not a fuzzy feeling. It's not a wishful thinking kind of hope. The hope of the incarnation is hope enfleshed. Hope promised that becomes ultimately made good in the most unexpected way of all, delivered in person on our doorstep by God himself. The hope of the incarnation is more than a few kind words expressed, fingers crossed, prayers being lifted up, I'm hoping for you. The hope of the incarnation is more than a few kind words. It's the unexpected hope of the word made flesh. Hope come down. Hope being born in your life. Hope transforming our story. Hope remaking all creation. And to be ready for such hope, we must be willing to wait. To wait upon the Lord. To wait upon the Lord in the midst of a stumbling economy. To wait upon the Lord in the midst of an ongoing medical crisis. To wait upon the Lord in the midst of the continuing polarization within our world, our nation, our communities, and our families. To recognize such hope, this hope that only God can give, we need to admit how much about what the Lord is doing we don't understand. And we often get badly and sadly wrong. To receive such hope, we must keep humbly following, tracing, remembering, and walking in the patterns of the Lord's faithfulness, both found in the pages of Scripture and found in the story the Holy Spirit is weaving day to day, moment to moment, in the movement of our lives together. Don't be afraid. Because all our doubts, all our questions, they don't preclude us from finding our hope in the Lord. They don't. But on the other hand, when we finally embrace the unexpected hope God gives to us in Jesus Christ, we will discover we not only have hope for ourselves, but we have hope to share with others. Hope that will change this world. Are you looking for hope? Do you want hope? 
because unexpected hope is coming. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you would like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Thank you.